right. Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. Uh, usually I'm joined by Sean Morton, but he's having some homeowner issues. So uh, it'll just be me today. And uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to be talking to our guest this week. Uh, he is a comedian. He is an actor. He is the head writer for The God's Honest Truth. Uh, he's worked on the VMAs. I've been wanting to talk to this guy for like a long, long time. So we're introducing Mr. Charles McBee. How are you, Charles? I'm good, man. I thought you were going to get us canceled for a second when you said that your friend was having some issues. You said <laughs> homeowner. You said you, you put the owner on it. I was yes. like, okay, good. <laughs> yes. He, he had an evacuation pump in his basement uh, burst on him. So it's all the sewage coming up. So his whole oh, basement is, yeah, is, yeah, is dealing with like that crappy water and actual crap. So it, they're cleaning it out and fumigating it and you got to, it, it's a whole mess, but uh, hopefully Sean will be dealing with that and he'll, we'll, we'll get him back next week, but let's talk to you, Charles. Um, no. But Sean said this last week and he's right on this show. We have ADD, like we bounce all over the place. Okay, so we'll start with the beginning and then we're going to jump to different places here. So you grew up in Toledo, Ohio. And right. And so Toledo was I've been out there, you know, doing shows. Um, It's a very like industrial uh, part of uh, of Ohio. Um, How did you get started in comedy or maybe if you even ask you why comedy, why not sports? Why not music? Why not anything else? What made you gravitate towards uh, comedy? Well, I am uh, uh, I am a musician. Uh, I've been a professional drummer um, my entire adult life. I started playing drums when I was 11, 12, when I was 12. Um, and then I pl- dabbled in piano and bass. I am, my parents are, my dad's a pastor of a church. My mom's a minister, so I grew up in church, gospel music my whole childhood. So Music is something that was my first love, still still is. Um, but then my second love was acting. And so I, I wanted to be an actor. And so that's what got me out to, to New York. I was going to go to L.A., but I heard that you have to be trained in New York before they respect you in L.A. Um, as an actor. So I came to New York to get trained as an actor. In comedy... At what age? Uh, at 20, I was 25 uh, when I came out to New York. Um, and so uh, comedy was something that was a, that was always a passion. It was always a fantasy. It wasn't a passion. It was a fantasy because back in Ohio, I had no idea how a person got into stand up. I didn't even know how you, I, I had. There were no such thing as open mics. There was no such thing as. We didn't have a scene. There wasn't a club back then. So I had no concept of what a comedian or a stand-up comedian does to get into being a stand-up. And so when I came out to New York, um, I knew that I wanted to see comedy and I knew I wanted to go to clubs. And I always fantasized about being a a stand-up comedian, but it was so beyond the pale of my imagination of reality that I just figured it was something I would probably never do. Uh, until somebody told me what an open mic was. And I was like, what? Is that easy? What do you mean? You just sign up and and show up and tell some jokes. So, yeah, that's how I that's how I initially got into it. Some somebody literally said, no, there's a comedy club right over there. Just go over there and sign your name on the paper and see what happens. This is how and this is how uh, clueless I was. So. Uh, I get to Eastville Comedy Club. It was the first open mic I had ever done. Wasn't do you remember the first... who the host was? I do. This is part, big part of the story. I get there, and I'm waiting on the steps. This is old Eastville for anybody that doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, on, on, on uh, East 4th Street. Right. East, and, East 4th and 2nd. Yep. I'm sitting there on the steps. It's 4 o'clock in the after, afternoon. Um, sitting there on the steps. I got my little notes and, I'm, you know, whatever. And Jay Welch... I remember is, Jay Welsh is running um, the mic. Yeah, big beard, bald head. You know, uh, yeah, he was he was he was a funny guy. Yep, he's running the mic, uh, and this is how clueless I was. He comes up, says, "Hey, are you here for the mic?" I go, "Yeah," and he goes, "Okay, we'll sign up here." And I go, "Cool." And in my mind, I go, "This guy's running the open mic." 
he must be able to do something for my career. <laughs> like this is, that's how, that's how clueless I was. I was like, I thought the host of the open, whoever was running the open mic must be a big shot in comedy. Is, and, isn't that delusional? Like, like, like how you saw things in like your first say year. Yeah. I, I, Cause I felt the same way. My first time also was at Eastville. And I remember thinking, man, if one day, I could just be the open mic host. If I can have that skill, <laughs> holy shit, would I be making it? I'll make That's it. Right. Yep. I asked um this guy, and he probably he may or may not remember this. I took a class with Jim Mandrinos uh, oh, way sure, back in the day. Yeah. yeah, he used to do it at Gotham. Yep, that's where I took it at. I took yeah. it at Gotham. He, he used to give you a homework assignment. I think it was a two-week class where you had it like you write every day for an hour. Yep. 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 Great teacher, by the way. He was, he was, I, don't, I think he still teaches. I'm not sure, but he's great. Um, but I, I remember he had like a Q&A at the end or whatever. And I remember asking him, uh, so if you do like, if you kill at like an open mic or something like that, um, that could like, you know, launch your career, right? Like I remember and just the level of his eyes, if his eyes rolled any further back in his in his skull, like if he could, I, I, I wonder if he remembers. What a cringy moment. I wonder if he remembers that. And I just remember him just being like, taking a deep breath and being like, don't try and launch your career at open mic. Just do your, like, I just remember. And I remember thinking like, oh, okay, that must have been a dumb question. But it was a dumb question. And, uh, and, um, uh, in hindsight, but yeah, yeah, though, oh, the early days, fond memories. Speaking of early days, tell the story about the first time you ever went up and did stand up in Toledo. Cause I think I read uh, something like you told your classmates that you were out on the scene and you yeah. were killing every night. And it, 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 do you, does that story ring a bell? Yeah. So it, so it wasn't Toledo. Fun fact I have yet to do stand up in Toledo. In all mm. my years of doing comedy, in my in in my own little world, I don't want to go home and do stand up until there's like a certain level I want to hit before I really go home and properly do it. It's just in my own my own little head. When when is that going to be? Like, I don't know. Like I could go, I could do it now, and and it would be great. Um, I think it's just something that's always been with me because home is different. It's just a different. Like people say all the time, how come you don't like go home? you know, and do a show. And it's like, because these are people who have known me since the third grade. Like this is a different, it's different here in New York. They know me as whatever they know me as in, in New York, this version of me there is like, Oh, there's your second grade teacher. And there's this person who remember when you they pissed really your pants. Know you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different. So I want to, I don't know, maybe it's, Maybe I got to work it out in therapy or something. But like there's a proper like moment where I feel like I'll go back. But anyway, so the story, that story actually takes place here in New York. Um, I was doing I was taking acting classes. Like I said, I came here for acting. Okay, I was taking acting classes and I was at a conservatory. So it was um, maybe about I don't know, a few hundred, you know, between kids and faculty. It was a few hundred of us. And yeah, so that I so I would come in every day. And and um, this is when, again, people were telling me, oh, yeah, you should, you know, you, you want to do stand up, do this, do that, go here, do that. But I didn't have the balls to do it. This is pre doing the open mics or anything like that. Wait, so you basically came to New York as a, as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like full on, full on actor was training, auditioning, like the whole nine. Um, I got my degree actually back home in um, theater, uh, in theater and acting and directing. So like. All right, so we've been, hold on a second. We've been doing this this interview for about eight minutes. In eight minutes so far, and I, I've, I've known you for a while. It seems <laughs> like um, I did not know that you came here at primarily as an actor, and I had no clue you were a drummer. Okay, yeah. so I mean, this this is this is pretty cool. So so go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go, go on with, no, with no. the story. So yeah, it's so it, 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 it's very very interesting that your background. Yeah, I'm, so I'm here, I'm going, you know, I'm taking, you know, doing these classes every day. We stayed in this dormitory in, uh, in Brooklyn called the St. George Hotel. It's a famous hotel in, in Brooklyn Heights, but now it's a dormitory. And so we lived there and then we would go into the city uh, at, at the school 
And we would um and we would take all these acting classes and do all these workshops and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, I was telling everybody, yeah, man, I, last night I was at the club. I was at the comedy club, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, man, Chris Rock was there. It was like, blah. Why are you doing this? <laughs> you said where? Why? Because I wanted to do stand-up. I just didn't have the balls to actually do it. So I just <laughs> lied instead. I just wanted people <laughs> to think that I was... I was like, ah, if I, you know, let me get into, let me play the role of like somebody who's doing stand up every night, and they bought it, and it was like, oh, what man, kind of shit were you telling people? They would just, I would just be like, yeah, I was at the club, it was crazy. Chris Rock was there, he came by, you know, it was I uh, killed, and they'd and this be is like, all bullshit. Yeah, it was all bullshit. I didn't even, <laughs> I'd never stepped on stage in my life, never been, never told a joke in my life, and so. They or they they would always say the same shit. How come you don't tell us? Oh, oh I forgot. Oh, I'll tell you the next time. And then the next time we're coming, I'd just be like, Oh yeah, oh man, crazy. So I'm I'm lying and lying, thinking that I would eventually convince myself to get the courage to actually do it if I kept pretending or whatever the case. Uh, never did. And then eventually, my friend Paula, who was a manager at a restaurant at the time, who was also in the school asked me to perform at our holiday party that she was putting on at the restaurant. This was a big restaurant. It's not open anymore, but it was a huge, like nice, plush, fancy restaurant with a big stage and everything like that. And uh, and she asked me to perform. She was like, the whole school's coming. Everybody's going to be there. It's going to be great. And I was like, listen, I'm a, I'm a liar. Like you gotta, uh, <laughs> you, you can't, put me up on that stage. I've been lying. I figured what's the word? She's going to be mad at me. I don't care. Like, but I, it would pale in comparison to me actually getting on stage and making a fool of myself. And so me thinking that she would be just upset and out me to everybody. Instead, she, uh, she was like, I think you're funny and I really want you to do this for me. And I was like, you're not letting me off the hook. Like you're not just, she's like, no, I want you to do it. Please do it. I think you'll be great. And and it was like two. I had like two weeks to prepare. So how much time did you have to do? She said whatever I wanted. I mean, it was like it could have been five minutes. It could have been whatever, I, you know, whatever I prepared. And so I was like, fine. Mind you, I'm sick. Two weeks. I'm I'm just sick. Couldn't eat. Couldn't like anything. I was just so nervous. Your um, first time for people that, that don't know, your first time going on stage, it stresses you out. You'll I remember I remember the first time I went, it was also Eastville. And I remember practicing and running through and just like you know, as the days were getting closer, man, like you're right. You get that. You're not eating. It's all you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, it was dreadful and dread and time comes, time comes. And I'm begging her to like can't like take me off this thing. Like, don't make me do this. She's like, you'll be great. You're going to be great. So time comes for the place. Place is packed. School's there. The faculty's there. And primarily they've, they're there. I find out not just because Paul is throwing this great party. They want to see me perform. Cause I've been talking all this shit this whole time. Oh, yeah. You've been hanging out with Chris Rock. Chris been, Rock. Right? Yeah. And, and Dave yeah killing at the club. They want to know what's good. They they finally this is their chance to get a front row seat. So all this nonsense. So now I got that hanging over my head because they think I've been doing this for you know the whole time. So I uh, so she goes, when do you want to go up? Now she's got musicians and all kinds of shit going on, for like perform. So she's got like, like people a whole who really do it. Yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> uh, people, poets. She's got all kinds of people like performers. Going Are you up. sweating bullets this whole time at the party? I'm sweating bullets. I can't eat. I can't do anything. And I don't drink. I don't know if you know this about me. I don't. I mean, I'll, I'll drink every blue moon, but I'm not a drinker. So people are like, oh, maybe you should drink something. I'm like, no, that'll that won't. I don't even know. I don't want anything. So um, I go put me on at, towards the end. I'm trying to build up momentum. She's like, fine. So all these people are going up now. Now. The audience, the faculty, everybody, the students, they're getting now they're getting irritated because it's getting late in the evening. And they're like, and when they came to a, see they came to see you. Yeah. When are you right. going on stage? And I'm like, I, oh, I think I in the back of your mind, you're thinking, 
well, if I go at the end, maybe people leave or they'll run out of time and you'll, you'll escape it. And in the meantime, they're getting angrier. Because they're getting they, they, angry. they don't want any more bullshit. They want, you know, they don't want the dances. They don't want, they want Charles McBee. Yeah, they want, they exactly. And I'm hoping that I'll at least get the courage or maybe the fear will go away or the bubbles will go away. It never went away. So she, Paula comes up to me and she goes, look, Dan, our mutual friend Danny had a friend who was a pro, professional comic. She invited him. I forget the guy's name. The, he wasn't a professional, long story short. But I saw, I don't know his name. Um, but they go, he's a professional comic. He's been doing it a while. What if he goes before you, kind of gets them warmed up, whatever, and you just ride the wave, you know, he'll, you see how it's done. And then you, you just go out and do your couple jokes. I go, okay, cool. So we go backstage, whatever the bongo player or whatever the hell is on there, they come off. And he goes on and I'm back behind him. I'm like, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. I got my little notes, my little whatever jokes. I'm just going to whatever. He goes out there. And when I tell you, you you know, as anybody, that there's different types of bombs, right? There's different types. There's levels to bombing. (laughs) There's the I, like bombing. You, I like how you phrase it. Like, I would know. Thank no, you. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, Jeff, you know all about bombing. You know, like when, like when I see you out in the club and you're bombing on a nightly basis, you know about the different types of bombs. Thanks, man. Ah, oh, that's great. I didn't mean it that way, but that's great. That's great. As a comic, you, you're familiar <laughs> with levels of bombing. And there's the bombing where it's like, that joke's not hitting. And then there's the bombing where you're like, Oh, this crowd, you know, they're not getting it. But then there's like that bombing where it's pain, like it's it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Right. It's uncomfortable for everyone in the room. Like it's so bad. You can't look at the people across for you because it's just so cringy and ill. Yes. Yes. That kind of he was that level bombing. So you're not riding the wave. There's no way. There's no way. But here's the thing. Here's how I figured it in my head. I go, because he wasn't just bombing to the crowd. It's not like I was backstage going, oh, they're not they're not getting his stuff. He was bombing to me. I was like, this dude sucks. And if he can go out there and do this, I'm funnier than this dude. And I've never done this before. But I know I'm funnier than the stuff that he's saying out of his mouth right now. Like, it wasn't just like the jokes weren't hitting. He was saying shit that made you go that made you not like him as a person like what made you think that was going to like be funny like that type of stuff so anyway he comes off stage comes back behind stage and i'm thinking he's going to walk immediately in front of a bus he comes back behind stage with this huge grin nice guy huge grin and he goes ah that was fun and just walks off and i'm like comics are the most delusional people on the planet i go if he can go out there and talk about roaches flying in his mouth because he lives in a filthy apartment and what, you know, blood, whatever he, nonsense he was talking about and not want to kill himself immediately after. Then I should be able to go out there, do these little jokes and be fine. So there were three, four old ladies sitting in the fr- like front row. I had no idea who they were. They didn't know who I was. They weren't with our group. I said, I'm going to try and make them laugh. If I make them laugh, because they were horrified over what they just saw. Horrified. How much like, time did I, he do? He, he had to have done like 10 minutes, something like that. I said, if I can make them laugh, I'll, I think I'll be okay. So I go out there and I just wasn't him. And that already had me like light years. That already had the crowd on my side. The fact that I wasn't him. And I started doing, you know, I took out my little piece of paper and I started, I don't remember whatever jokes they were, but I started doing these jokes and I was getting a little bit of laugh and a little bit of laugh. And I look over and I see my classmates and I see the faculty and they're laughing. I do more jokes, more jokes. I see the wait staff, they're laughing. And now I'm comfortable, now I'm confident. I don't remember how much time I actually did. Maybe it was six minutes, maybe or something like that, but it went really well. And that's, and you know, I know it's a long story, but that's the story of when, how I lied my way onto the stage for the very first time to do stand up. No, and after you, that, it was like, 
I was like, I'm doing this now. That's the moment where I was like, no acting, smacking. I'm doing this. Once you get the bug, once you get that first laugh and, you know, all of a sudden it starts to slow down for you. Right. Yeah. Like, right. All of a sudden, like, you know, you, it, it's like you can't wait to get back up again. Yeah. 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 Totally. So with, with the acting, you're, you're you're not acting at all. I mean, are you, are you still acting? If something comes, you know, comes along or I'll audition, but it's not the I, I said back then, maybe I didn't verbalize it back then, but this is basically the sentiment was I needed to pick a hustle. I couldn't hustle at, you know, five, six different things at the same time. I feel like when maybe some people can, but I feel like when most people do that, particularly me, you're just doing bare minimum at a bunch of different things. And I'm the type of person that I need to go all in on one thing, make sure that that is a self, you know, or well-oiled machine. And then I can like focus on other stuff. So I decided to pick a, pick a hustle, pick a struggle. And as we say in the black community, pick a struggle. And my struggle, I wanted it to be stand up more so than acting, because when you're struggling at acting, the struggle is as an artist, you just want to act and you want to be able to perform. That's what you want to do is perform and 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 do your craft. But in able to get to do your craft, you got to pay several hundred dollars for headshots. You got to continually pay for acting classes and continually pay for training. You got to hope to get an agent so that you can hope to get an audition. Um, maybe if you get an audition, even if you're good, well, his ears were too big or is, you know, it's, it's just so much to get to the point where you can do the you're, thing that you're, you just, you're telling me. Yeah, no, I know. I know, you know, <laughs> I know, you know, so where you could do the thing that you want to do. And with comedy, as you also know, it's like, look, if it's nothing more than just doing an open mic, at least I can like do the thing that I want to do. I can think of jokes, write it, and then immediately go and perform, if you will. So I was just like, you know what? And I and I loved it more at the as much as I loved acting. Once I got into comedy, I was just like, oh, this is like, I, I just loved it more. So I just did that full time, and I um you know, the more time I dedicated to that, the less time I dedicated to the the hustle at, uh, at acting. What did you major in in college? Uh, uh, acting and directing, theater. Did you have a minor in anything? Like communications. Because the reason why I, I ask you these questions is because um, I've always considered you to be a very, very, very good writer. And you, you, make you know you make your living now really writing i mean you do stand up but how do you go about writing writing for award shows you know do you find it intimidating because you're with like other other writers you know you're a young guy you know maybe people a little bit more accomplished or who have more credits than you and like you know you're writing for things like you know the vmas and and like you know the hip-hop honors you know and you're in this room with these people how do you keep your composure and how do you can uh, you contribute creatively? Um, you know what? I, I do get nervous. Um, you don't show it. You never show it. it it's it's weird. It's like I get nervous. In the sense that I just want to do a good job. Um, I don't get nervous in the sense of like comparing myself to whoever else is in the room. I get nervous. I, I, I'm my own worst critic. So I get nervous in the sense of I want to do a great job. I want to really show up and do a great job. And so I just I barrel in and I just lock in tunnel vision and I just do the work. I don't focus on the grandiose of whatever the project is, because it really isn't. You don't get to the spectacle until the actual day of shooting, but there's a lot of pre-pro or pre-prep that goes before that. And most of that is just, you're in a room, you know, talking to your EP or your showrunner and and you're just writing and doing research and working on the script. So you're staring at a screen most of the time. It's not until the night of that, oh, red carpet or whatever the case. Um, So yeah, my whole attitude is always just do, I just want to do a good job. And so I'm tunnel visioned in, and um, I'm not thinking about the the bigness of it. It's just a doc, I got a document. I'm on a laptop and I want to write what 
whatever it is I'm supposed to write. And with award shows, it's less... Is, is pressure in the sense that it's, you know, maybe the, the show is big, but it's less pressure in the sense of like, I don't necessarily have to be the most brilliant writer for an award show. Um, maybe if you're working on an open monologue, yeah. But if in the grand scheme of things, it's a lot of um, set up, just, just set up this next presenter and, you know, you have to know, have knowledge about the the different things that are up for awards and stuff like that. But it's not like you're writing Game of Thrones. It's pretty you, straightforward on what they want. Is it a collective effort or are you, are you like assigned, hey, John, you're going to, you know, write for this person, this person, this person. Yeah. And then Harrison, you're going to write for this person. Is it like that? It, yeah, pretty much. Um, and, and depending on what you're working on, you might be working on, you know, it might be you and someone else that's working on uh the opening monologue or it might be um hey we need some ideas for some sketches in between you know these segments you know so you're pitching sketches or somebody is it a brainstorming thing it starts out as a brainstorming thing um and then somebody uh it depending on how big the room is too uh it could be a small room or a big room but people are pitching ideas pitching sketches i sketch yeah, give ideas. us an idea of the size of the room uh, it depends on the award show. So like I did the golden I that, that's budget. Yeah. It depends on the budget. depends on the award show. Um, it was me for the golden globes. I did the pre-show. Uh, it was me and another writer, um, Gerard, who was basically, he doubled as writer and producer or a uh, floor producer. And I was a writer and like, I wrote most of it. Um, and you know, I would go directly to a report directly to my showrunner. She would tell me yay or nay, and then she had to report to the network. And the network is really where the buck stops. And so right. they basically, is, they're going to, you know, take their red marker, change this, change that. We can't say this, can't say that. Da, 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 da. You make those changes. And it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, it's less room for, like I said, being super creative and super funny and all this kind of stuff. And it's more like you're at the at the behest of whatever the network wants. So... That's, that's kind of rough. Um, you, you're, you're one of the smartest uh, writers in terms of like what's happening uh, current affairs wise, what's happening in current events. Um, do you follow the news closely um, or are you writing from like what you see, like from your perspective? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, so with the show that I'm, we do now, so with Guys Honest Truth, um, you know, for that format, we do follow what's going on in the news and follow what's going on in pop culture, particularly how it affects, you know, the black community, because we're coming at it from that lens. Um, but in general, I still kind of follow I do follow what's going on um, just from, my, you know, from my own thing. I, I came up on uh, Bill Maher on the daily show the john you know john stewart version on colbert report like those were my um that that, that was kind of my trajectory in college that was like something i knew i kind of wanted to do those i were influences those are my influences in college um i really i would watch the daily show every day i would watch colbert report every day i would watch bill maher all the time and i just thought that it was so cool that they could take something as boring or mundane as politics and make it palatable for, you know, somebody like me, like a young, you know, young college student or somebody that you wouldn't necessarily be watching, um, you know, CNN all day or, or, you know, something like that. And so, and the, and I'm a fan of satire. I've, uh, I've always been a fan of satire. I've always been a fan of just smart um, humor that kind of, it doesn't necessarily have to be about politics, but just, commenting on whatever is happening. And since politics is something that could be considered, I mean, it's something that's considered as what's happening. It's a big part of our lives, but it could be, you know, something that's just happening within the black community or something that's happening within between men and women, just whatever is permeating in the culture, being able to kind of comment on it and, and kind of in a satirical way. I've always been a fan of, of that in, in general. It's amazing how really the world has changed in what we kind of like focus and use as our identity. It used to be yeah. like, kind of like people's um, uh, profession sometimes with their identity. Now it seems like really since 2015, 2016, you know, since that, that election period, 
Um, it really seems like politics and, you know, now more than ever have become people's identity and to, to the point where it's like crazed. Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, writing for uh, the God's honest truth. Um, you guys really knocked it out of the park and went viral with the uh, Camilla Harris clip. Um, yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still fascinating, you know, a uh, string of events that you guys, this is what I like about that is that you guys asked questions and didn't back off. And, yeah. uh, you know, what, what was that? What was that kind of like, like, I mean, how do you guys, I mean, it's like you and Charlemagne and I guess the others, how do you guys have the balls to like, Talk to the, the the vice president of the United <laughs> States, and I mean, I just recently watched it because we were gonna. Uh, I knew we were gonna interview you, and I'm watching Charlemagne there, and I swear, man, I, every time I've watched it, I couldn't be more proud of. Of I mean, he's not a professional journalist, but he was the most professional journalist I've ever seen. That he didn't back off. Yeah, he didn't back off. And he and he and he kept his poise and he asked the vice president of the United States these questions. Take, take us through that a little bit. Um, well, I mean, a lot of that credit has to go to, to Charlemagne because he's that's just who he is. Um, he the, the, the thing that's great about him is that. With the Breakfast Club, let's take the Breakfast Club, right? They became popular not based on the guests that they got to come to the show. They became popular based on just the content that they were putting out. And so the audience really gravitated towards them, Charlemagne in particular. And so because they had the audience, politicians and artists and whoever knew they needed to come by there because that's where the audience was and that's where the culture is and so he's not really somebody that's accustomed to feeling like he needs to behave a certain way in order to appease this political person or appease this person he's like no i'm i'm serve he serves his audience and so whoever whatever political person it doesn't matter if it's the president obviously he's had tussles with now, did president. you see eye to eye in or are you in line with uh Charlemagne like you know with what the way he kind of sees things um a lot of it yes there's some things that we disagree on um but in general yeah we see eye to eye on a lot of things um cuz I'm not a republican I'm not necessarily a democrat I would say I was I've been a democrat my whole life, but as of late, I'm, I don't claim either side. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle, depending on the topic. And he's the same way, depending on the topic, he'll lean more conservative, he'll lean more liberal. In general, I think he roots for um, liberals or roots for Democrats. But as of late, he's very, he's been very disappointed, not to put words in his mouth, but this is what he says, you know, he's very disappointed in how the Democrats have kind of You're been seeing that with guys like Bill Maher as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. So, yeah. So we're kind of aligned in that sense. There may be specific things that we may disagree on or debate about. But even that he likes, uh, you know, debate. He likes different thoughts and different points of view. And so. So, yeah. So that's how we approach things. But with Kamala. Yeah. So when she came on, he's his basic thing was I, I have these questions. And we, you know, and he wants to ask it, and he's not. It's just not. That's just who he is. He's not really, you know, someone who got to where he is by by falling in line and and you know, following the rules, if you will. I showed so many people that clip when Simone Sanders uh, pretends that we they, they can't hear you. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen that in an interview with with a you know someone of that 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 level yeah. and Charlemagne just like, again, man, like, 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 like a bulldog. Like I like when he turns, I don't know if he's talking to you, but he turns like they can hear us. Yeah. They can hear us. And he's like, like it just like called them out. It, you know, I'd love that. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, he'd rather, and we, and me too, we'd rather go out knowing that we were honest and we just, there was just no bullshit. You know, we like it lends to your credibility. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if it ruffles some feathers, 
that's fine if we know that we were sincere. We we our thing is we don't do anything, and particularly him, we don't do anything for shock value. We don't do anything uh, trying to you know for clout. It's just pure, uncut, honest. Here it is, and however the however it lands is how it lands. But you know we didn't go on there saying, hey, we're gonna piss off the vice president like that. When that's the intent, people can see through that. And and you come off as right. you lose all credibility. That was never the point. Like it was just like we have these questions. They can feel how they feel, but we're going to ask the questions and we're going to because we want the answers. It's the reason why someone like Brian Stelter is so hateable is because, you know, it's contrived. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not real. It's not honest. Yeah. You know? um, do you guys have any uh, plans for like the, the next season to interview maybe Pete Buttigieg or even like Christian Cinema or something like that? Other people like that who are in the news that would be kind of like, you know, controversial and kind of alluring? Definitely. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, and would they know. be hesitant to come on the show? You know, it's funny with... Um, what I've learned uh, being kind of on this side of it is that one, politicians have way thicker skin than than we kind of than they kind of let let off. Um, let you know, they are not as fragile as their handlers may make them seem. And so, if the again, if we are where the audience is, or if Charlemagne is where you know, the audiences and culture is and, and where their demographic and their constituents are, they're going to come. Um, even if they, if we ruffle their feathers, I feel like for the most part, they'll still, they'll still make their way. You know, they still do the breakfast club. They still, you know, uh, maybe certain ones. I don't know if Joe Biden will ever interview with him again because of the whole thing, but so I don't what? think it has to do with that. I just, I just don't think they would trust him to go on that type of uh, that, free that, flow format. That you would also. be a great guest on that show. Mm. I think uh, current uh, mayor Eric Adams. That yeah, 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 totally. Because totally. he's he's a guy who I think can go either way. And what I mean by that is he can get influenced by the mob and, you know, and, and the, the the celebrity of, of the position, kind of like the way Bill de Blasio did and did nothing. Or he mm -hmm. can be a, a guy who could be a game changer in the city. It really depends. I always wait and I'm always interested because it's usually the same thing. And I do have um, some empathy for politicians who get into new positions because they all go in with the same kind of fire in their belly to go in and I'm going to change things. And then you, they realize how it really works and they realize that maybe Same. they're able to get a couple inches, but it's not going to be whatever they promised the people. And it's not going to be whatever they had in their mind. Uh, I, I liken it the same way to working on a t television show. Like when you'll start going in, like we're going to do this and we're going to write that and we're going to do this. And by the time the network gets done with you and by the time, you know, standards and practices get done with you. And by the time this and that and that and this, you're lucky to get in that those two jokes that you were hoping to, you know, get on air. And so, like, it's kind of the same thing. There's that old uh, Bill Hicks joke where it's just like, you know, a president gets elected and they, they bring him into a room, a dark room. And they show him a, a, a film of the Zapru the Zapruder film of JF Kennedy getting shot from a different angle. And then they turn to him and they go, any questions? Like, that's kind of how it is with these politicians. It's like they get in there, they see how it really is. And they don't, the thing that I don't, the only thing I don't like is that they don't come back and tell the people. Just be honest with the people and say, look, I had every intentions of doing this, this, and this, but this is what it's really like. Instead, they come up with some BS and they spin you. And so it just, it, it just perpetuates the same nonsense. It's on both sides of the aisle. If you, if you really think that they have our best interest at heart, you don't know politics. Yeah. The, a, a politician's primary uh, focus is to get reelected. Get reelected. Yeah, that that's it. Keep the keep the gig. Uh, before we get into music, one last thing. Um, what's your whole take on the whole Whoopi canceling uh, situation? Um, in general, I think it's silly and disingen uh, disingenuous. 
Um, I, I, and I don't say that agreeing with what she said. Uh, I think what she said was also ridiculous and and not right. Um, but she's also on the View. She's also on a show called <laughs> The View. <laughs> Right, right, like, which hasn't been known since Barbara Walters left <laughs> right. to, to say, like, you know, the most prophetic things. Yeah. Like, yeah. How dare you give your view on a show called The View? Um, right. It's it's it, it makes them look really bad um, because, one, you fired, you got rid of Roseanne for her tweeting out a joke that she apologized for, but because it was you know, racial and, and whatever the case, you completely got rid of it. No tolerance, no nothing, just done, 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 right? Now, I always say the pendulum swings is going to swing the other way. No matter if you keep trying to shoot at the other side and blah, 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 is going to come back your way. So now you have this case where Whoopi is, says something that offends a lot of people and is taken as, as uh, you know, inflammatory, whatever, whatever. So what do you do? Well, you don't want to fire her because that'll be a shit storm. So you put her on a two week timeout, which now she's pissed about and she might quit anyway. And it makes you look like hypocrites because you got rid of Roseanne, but you but you're kind of doing this whole dance with Whoopi. It's just the whole thing across the board of trying to fire someone because they said something that you don't like. It's just it's not it's never good. For anybody like it's just it just isn't you know um same with joe rogan i don't care that he said the n-word a thousand times i don't listen to his podcast I, so I, it, i could care less i'm not tossing and turning in my sleep because joe rogan might made a planet of the apes joke i personally don't care it doesn't affect me at all he should still have his dumb podcast because i'm gonna say something that pisses people off and I'm going to want to keep my dumb podcast or whatever platform it is. So, yeah, Whoopi, I is not that I agree with what she said, but this if you go and start decapitating everybody who says something that you either don't agree with or don't like, instead of engaging in a conversation, is it just doesn't end well for anybody. I feel personally. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on every single thing you just said. I didn't want to see, I mean, what Whoopi said was stupid, but I didn't want, I don't want to see her being canceled. I don't think Roseanne should have been fired. And I don't think anyone should give a shit what Joe Rogan says or doesn't say. First of all, I'm a Joe Rogan fan, but have you, you know, you can't listen to the whole podcast five days a week, uh, three hours a podcast. Anyway, if I'm listening to, to 15% of what he says for a podcast, that's a lot. There's no way I believe that a guy like Neil Young or Joni Mitchell have ever listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. And then you're going to be such a virtue signaler that you're going to like, oh, uh, let's, let's pull off a of Spotify, but we'll continue doing business with like a, a company like Amazon, which has never done anything bad to people before. The number of people and things, persons, person, places and things that you would have to cancel in order to completely be rid of every any and everything problematic. We don't want to go down that road. That's like, right. We don't. And so it's just like, shut up. I said I, I tweeted the other day. I said every comic is just one back of the comedy club conversation away from being Joe Rogan. So, I saw that. So let's not like let's let's not. I've said horrific things in private <laughs> that if somebody had recorded, I'd probably be canceled. Just shooting the shit with other comedians or whoever is we all have. We've all said things in the car. That's right. It, it's just let's just be human beings and recognize that we're going to say dumb things from time to time. And if you really don't agree with somebody or don't like what someone says, you can either a don't listen, don't watch, don't whatever, or you can be engage them in better thought and better in better speech. Um, but trying to go after the sponsors and this and that is is a slippery slope, in my opinion. Yeah, you I think you're 100 percent right. Uh, let's go back to what you said uh, a little earlier in the show when you mentioned that you were a drummer. I had yeah. no clue that you you uh, can play the drums. Yeah. Um, funny thing is, when I was in high school. I played the drums as well. I played like in garage bands and that's how I paid for my prom. Um, nice. Yeah. So you, you were, so who were your influence and what, what kind of music did you listen to? 
Um, you know, the funny thing is that drums is how I pay for uh, living in New York when I first moved there. That's how I didn't have get to get like here. a full time. So you're that accomplished? I mean, yeah, I could. Yeah, I would. I, mean, I can keep a beat, you know, a fill every now and then. You know, but I, I mean, I, I don't think I was that. It sounds like you like. Yeah, no, I, I've been playing since I was uh, since I was 10 years old. Um, uh, yeah, when I first got out to when I first moved here, I knew Hold one on person. 10 years old. So was there was there music in your in your house? Did your, your parents play music? Were they into music? We had a um, we had a we had an organ, actually, <laughs> when I was a kid in our house, real life organ. Somebody had gave to my dad. But um, but no, I like so like I said, my dad's a pastor of a church. Um so I, so music and uh, you know in a black church is like that's top notch that's hand in hand it's like a black church is music you know um mm-hmm. so a lot of gospel music i was always in church you know i was always church all the time and so um yeah i was always around it and uh some church musicians particularly black church musicians you know they double as They'll play at church on Sunday, but they were at a, you know, <laughs> the speakeasy uh, the night before. They were on tour with whoever, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so some of the most seasoned best musicians um, are, are black, you know, church musicians. And so I was just always around and I always grew up in it and I always had access to instruments. Just being, you know, being in church. My dad was a pastor. I just always had access. Oh, there's drums. I could play drums whenever I wanted. Oh, there's a piano. I could play piano whenever I wanted. And so that's how I started. Did you ever take lessons? I took piano lessons. That didn't last very long. Never does I, with kids. Yeah, with kids is just not not good. I, um, self-taught, self-taught on everything. Self-taught oh, after the lessons didn't take. I played by ear. And drums, I self-taught. Self-taught fully with drums. Um, was uh, there a band or a song that you heard that was that wow moment that says, I'm going to pick up this instrument and I'm going to try and play that song? Not really. It was just a combination of being in church every Sunday and the choir singing, you know, a bunch of different songs and me really looking up to other the same way we look up to comics um, or local comedians that we sit and watch is how it was as a kid watching music, local musicians. Um, There were drummers and, and bass players, you know, within the in the circuit in that church, black church circuit that we as kids looked up to as aspiring musicians. So we would just all really soak up and sit and try and learn tricks and learn, you know, chords and learn, you know, all this, all these things from these other seasoned musicians. And every so often, you know, we would um, get to a point where we could maybe play. We would, there were certain times of the service that they would let it almost like, it's funny now I'm thinking about it, similar to the check spot, you know, with, Oprah, with a comic, <laughs> oh, you can do the check spot. For a church service, you could do maybe offering because offering, you know, the offering, nobody's really paying attention. They're going around giving their money and the thing. And it's where the right, musicians right. kind of just... Great analogy. Yeah, they can have a little jam session. Nobody, you know, no big deal. So you could kind of get on. And, and if you could hang, then they would let you play offering. And so that's kind of how you kind of got in. And then uh, every so often we would go by different, uh, the choir rehearsals and sit in on the choir rehearsals. And, you know, maybe if there was a while they were rehearsing a song or something, maybe you if you could keep time, then you could get on and do that. And you earned your keep similar to a comic. You kind of just earn your keep until you were able to get on, you know, play a full song and then you could play a service and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how that's how. Yeah, that's how we got into that. It was mostly gospel music that got me into it rather than like secular music, even though I was a big fan of secular music, too. But gospel music was what made me be a actual musician so when you were here who did, who did you play what kind of music did you play gospel a lot of it. that's gospel we, yeah because um and who do you listen to like in, in your you know when you're when you got your, your headphones on or you're just kind of like working out or something oh if i'm just listening to music um I, I live in the 90s i the great thing about streaming is that you can live in whatever decade you want and you never have to leave it so i live in the 90s i'm a forever 90s kid so hip hop, I mean, it could be DMX, it could be Biggie, Tupac, or it could be, um, even though Aerosmith uh, spans a lot of different decades, um, they had some really great music in the 90s coming up. Um, 
you know, the whole Alicia Silverstone age. I was a big part oh, of that. That's a crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That crazy, whole thing. Right, yeah. Um, punk rock back then. I love, uh, you know, all of that. Anything that was on MTV at the time. Is what I was basically into. It's really uh, like the last real good era of MTV. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking at the. I pulled up a chart here of uh, '90s acts, the top '90s acts, and yeah. it's all over the place. Yeah, you know, you have like bands like Nirvana. You know, that's why when you talked about being a drummer, you know, yeah. ha, you know, Dave Grohl made Dave it look Grohl, really one cool. One of the best, to, right? To play uh, Pearl Jam, yeah. but then you know you'll have in the same decade on the same charts someone like. Tupac yep. or um, Beastie Boys or Dr. Dre was huge in, in the 90s. Yep. You yep. know, um, you had a Tribe Called Quest people forget about. Um, yep. Green Day, Soundgarden, you know. Green Day, yeah, all you know, of it. Did you like the crossover stuff? Like, you know, stuff like Rage Against the Machine, Corn. Uh, did you, were you into that stuff? I was into all of all of that. Rage, I was into Corn, Limp Biscuit, all the unpopular ones too. I was into those too as a kid. Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, what was it? Queen of the Stone Age. Queen of the Stone Age, um, Faith No More. Yeah, uh, Gorillaz. Um, I liked Gorillaz. Gorillaz was, was really like blur. They're kind of like a super group. Yeah, they were Blur and like a, a, I think like a rapper, right? Was yep, it? yep, yep. I forget his name, but yeah, he was a, a rapper. He produced a bunch of dope stuff, wrote a bunch of dope stuff. Um, I think he's from the West Coast. Um, yeah, like all of that. I, I was in a, a Lincoln Park. I was huge Lincoln Park fan. Um, rest in peace to Chad. I was a huge. Um, uh, 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 flea. Um, I'm having a brain fart. Uh, one of the we, biggest we had, bands yeah, ever. Corn, yeah, Corn, Guns N' Roses um, in the 90s. Red Hot Chili uh, Peppers. Oh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. How did we leave yeah. that out? I was like, I was oh, having yeah. a brain fart. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, yeah, all of that. And and the thing about those, all those groups, to me, it was more so like, especially the rock groups, you could hear the the instrumentation and you could hear the melody and you could hear the influences. Um, I love the guitar riffs, the bass line. I'm a huge Flea fan. Um, as a drummer, drummers and, and bass go, they're That's like right. married. Well, it's, it's it's the rhythm section. Yeah. yeah, yep. So I've always been a fan of, of great bass uh, guitar players. And Same. they weren't afraid, like you said, the future, they weren't afraid to to fuse music like 90s was the was the great fusion of different um styles and different different acts well, you, I had mean, the, you had the well i think it was a little earlier then but you had the aerosmith collaboration with uh Run Run DMC. DMC. but you also i think in the 90s didn't you have um uh uh what's it oh i love them um uh, uh public enemy uh together with uh anthrax when they oh, did yeah. bring the noise yep 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 totally Yep, Public Enemy. Another. I mean, even though again they were they what were they late eighties when they, they started? Came, they came out. They came out in the in the in the eighties. Eighties, but, but they, still through but the nineties. They, 90s, they, they had, did go into the nineties. Nineties was great. Yeah. Um. And even like pop. I mean, growing up, I was a kid. MTV. So Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson. You know, uh, like all of it. I was I was just consuming all of it. It was all like great music to me. Um. And, and you know, I wasn't. There was no because I came from the because I grew up in Ohio, we didn't have a specific sound that we were be, beholden to, if you will. There was no like music scene where we were from. I mean, there was early on, like in the seventies and stuff like that. There, there, a lot of famous people came out of there, but in the nineties, not so much. And so we could just consume anything from anywhere, south, east coast, west coast. Like we didn't care. It wasn't like we only listen to a certain rappers or certain artists because they came from, they had this sound or that sound. We just consumed every sound from, from all over the country. So. Speaking of great baselines, the baseline that always stayed with me, it, you, I asked you the question about uh, first song, first band that got, that really got you into like music and said, this is something I, I want to do for me. It was the Jackson five and the baseline, which I can never, ever get rid of. It's the best baseline you know, of any song for me is the baseline in the love you save. Oh yeah. 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 And I, is it, um, is it Tito? Who's the uh, bass player in the, for uh, them? Tito was either guitar or 
I don't know, because I know they had like extra people in the band that weren't part of the five, but like play different instruments. I don't know if Tito played guitar. I think he played or bass. Whoever played it on that record, I should really look it up one of these days. Yeah. Uh, that bass line, man, it, you know, is is beyond it's not subtle it, it, it is yeah. prominent but people do, but the yeah. melody of the song and the catchiness of, of every it's is to me one of the best motown era songs you know ever recorded and the baseline you know does for me and that made me just like really want to uh, be into music um if you had to put pick three rap groups that or three rap artists that you know that you really kind of like still listen to like it never gets old who you who are you going with uh, probably some of the, um, probably some of the go-tos, uh, is, they're probably not going to be, I'll try and pick some other than Biggie, Pac and Jay-Z. Um, but those are the, you know, they're, they're there for a reason, you know, um, uh, other than them, Big Pun never gets old to me. Um, DMX never gets old to me. Big L never get so so probably those would be my under not underground but those would be my second tier and the top tier would just be with jay-z Pac, and biggie were you a nas fan i was a nas fan but if i'm being really honest his best album was his first album um it was written um every album after that to me still had great songs but as bodies of work i wasn't as big of a fan as his later bodies of work i think the beat selection wasn't always the best he was all he's always been a top tier lyricist but beat selection and production to me has never matched the first album where he had i mean every, you know everybody the, just the top of the top on there making that making that album and i feel like people like jay-z where he really shines is he's always worked with the best of the best when it came to production. He didn't just rely on his own lyrical capabilities to uh, to carry an, an entire album. And I think that's where Nas uh, should have kind of, I think that's where that would have did him more justice if he had kind of still been in, stayed in tune with whoever, not necessarily the hottest, who's ever the hottest producer, but just, producers that could really help bring match his level of lyricism. You know, if his, if his lyrical abilities are up here then who, whatever producers he's working with should also be up here. No, it's pretty cool. remember in the nineties on MTV, I, I wish I would bring it back. They used to do unplugged. Yeah. And remember when they had LL Cool J and he comes out with that band and he does an unplugged version of, of uh, Mama uh, said, knock yeah, you out. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember how great that was? Those were amazing. Those were those moments where, um, you know, it was pre, obviously it was pre YouTube. So you had to right. really look for those, those moments. And when they came on, you were glued to your seat. Cause it was just like, you never, you couldn't go, just go to an LL concert. So something like that came on. It was like, what? That's why the VMAs were so big back then. You get to right. see your acts perform. It's like, what? I get to see so-and-so perform. You know, now it's great that we have access to whatever we want, but at the same time, it takes away those magical moments, those must-see moments when it comes to like television and things of that nature. Because you just go, ah, I can see anything I want, you know, whenever I want. But, but yeah, that was, those are great. But that was how you knew it was a great song because when it's scaled down and stripped down, and it's and and it's it's a it's a guitarist, it's a bass player, and it's yeah. a drummer. And LO is up there rapping. And it, you know, that was so across, it, I thought it was across generations. I yeah. thought it was cross racial. I thought, you know, it, it really was like, that was like, I didn't care who you are. You had to like that and appreciate that. And oh, I'm, yeah. a, I, I'm a rocker guy. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, and it never got old for me. No one else who was remember and this guy from the from the nineties. You don't hear from him anymore. Remember Coolio, and he had that that duet with with I don't know who the guy who sang uh, the um, the 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 singing part on the Dangerous um, Minds. Yeah, on uh, was that Gangsta's Paradise? Um, he's a guy. Who, I get him mixed up with Coolio. Uh, not Coolio. Uh, 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 CeeLo Brown. See, yeah, CeeLo, uh, CeeLo Green, I think. Um, CeeLo, CeeLo Green, right, right. He, yeah, but he that was wasn't him, Barkley. though. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But that wasn't that's not who sung it. Yeah, it was a um I forget his name, but it was a like a regular guy. He was um, great. I don't think he's he hasn't sung anything or done anything else, but like how's that happen? He's uh I think Coolio just kind of knew him, or he was like either in the studio, he was just around in the studio and like he, they just put him on the song and it became this like amazing song. That song though is funny because going back to like me loving everything that song is one of those songs that became so popular but it was a popular for you know the movie dangerous minds and it's coolio and so in a way it became this thin it was this thin line it walked between popular and corny and at least in the in you know the black community it was like they knew it was a great song but it wasn't really hardcore so no, because it, that was also the time you had some gangster rap coming out. Exactly. It was NWA and and uh, particularly Ice Cube and and then Dre was changing the scene. Right. 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 So that was considered like like I'm, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to call it like top 40 rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Soft. And it was like so, so it was like this weird like. Like even now, like I'll still bump it to this day, but it's just like I'm kind of looking around like, oh, <laughs> like, like, oh, my neighbors hear me just bumping Coolio. But it's a great song. You can't deny when the song is just an amazing song. It, uh, uh, it dude, won the I, Grammy I, I, that I year. I get it. I get it because, you know, like my favorite bands are Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden. But, you know, if I'm driving in my car and no one's around, I may throw a little Auber in there, you know, a little SOS. There you I go. Kinda, I kind of like that. You know, no, no one's going to catch me, right? There you, there you go. You know what? I'm, you're gonna. You might. No, you might just um. You might end this whole stream down after this. Um, but I am. Uh, what's the song? Every what's the band everybody hates but pretends to hate? Um, um, Nickelback. Go to punchline. Nickelback. Every, Nickelback. Yeah. I don't hate Nickelback. Because you, know, you, you have a brain and you don't follow. <laughs> That's right. Nickelback, you know, How You Remind Me, Photograph. You know, they have some really they good songs. They have some good songs. Like, yeah, stop big with that. Yeah. yeah. Knew, knew who makes it a punchline? Hacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, bro, I'm like, I never could understand. And I make a joke about this on stage that I'm a Coldplay fan, which I am. I love Coldplay. But, um, but yeah, Nickelback, I'm like, I grew up like... Like the, either the song is good or it's not. I always, I always love when people make fun of a band and they go, they're the worst band ever and they suck and nobody likes them. I'm like, really? They sold over a hundred million albums. I assure you, somebody likes them. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would like to be in a band like that. What yeah. do you think about the first time you heard Smells Like Teen Spirit? You know, I was young, but I remember it being something that I just knew was like, one of the dopest things I ever heard. Um, and I've always had it, even before I knew I was a musician, I've always had an ear for, for music. I always, I, I, could, I always say like, even as a kid, I could have been a top 40 DJ. I could have broke hits because I knew a hit when I would hear it. And I remember hearing- Did you ever think video, about working for a record company? Was that? Did you ever think about working for a I, record company? Not once I was an adult, but as a kid, I was one. I, I thought I was going to be a musician in some way, a professional musician in some capacity, um, whether it be a, a record label or something like that. That was my kid um, kind of goal. That was and my so, first job out of college. That was your first job? Yeah, I worked for CBS Records. I worked in the A&R department. Hey, see that? Yeah, I was I knew it, I figured I was like, maybe I'll be, you know, as a kid, you have the, you know, whatever. So I was like, I don't know. Will I be a rapper? Will I be a musician? Will I be this or a producer? Um, something like that. But those were kind of like the fantasies I would have as a kid. But I, yeah, Teen Spirit, it was because you got to remember it, it was simultaneous with the vi music video back when music videos meant something. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even just a song, even though the song was amazing, but it was seeing that music video and seeing Kurt Cobain and seeing that, like, it was a whole, you, it sucked you into the TV. And it held you there and it didn't let you go until the video was over with. And you're just you're just there in your living room going, what the fuck was that? Like, that is incredible. Um, yeah, Nirvana was Nirvana was a shit like Nirvana was definitely the shit.
it killed the hair metal bands, you know, bands like Judas Priest and Motley Crue went from playing, you know, Madison Square Garden to playing, you know, the, the Palladium or the Beacon Theater. Charles, th- this hour flew by, man. This Amen. really flew by. You know, you you were great. Um, before we wrap this up, um, what do you got uh, coming up and what could people look forward to in uh, Charles McBee world? You know, there's a few things in pre-pro that unfortunately just keep if you follow me on at Charles McBee um, on Instagram and social media and uh, you'll everything that I'm not allowed to talk about now. I'll be allowed to talk about in the next month or a couple months or so. So please follow me there. And um, yeah, and that's where I'll be kind of announcing a bunch of stuff. Guys, follow uh, Charles McBee. Maybe Adam uh, will uh, will will put up some graphics uh, when this comes out, and uh, we'll have all Charles' uh, uh, social information. Charles, I can't thank you enough, man. You are you are excellent. You're great. This is great. Um, this is fun. I love talking music. This is great. No, nah, man, it's really really great having you on. Uh, we appreciate it, and I'll I'll see you around New York. See you. Okay, take care, man. Thank you very much. Peace. Bye bye.